Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Can we just uh, say happy mothers to the mothers that are around us? Happy mothers. And uh, anyone that's out on live stream, happy Mother's Day to you as well. It's great to be here with you today. My name is Jeremy Hetzel. I'm the Director of Student Ministries here at Family of Christ. And I thought since it was Mother's Day, I would start out sharing a little bit about my growing up. So for those who don't know, I am a triplet. So my mother is a saint. Uh, the three of us were born September 14th, 1980. My brother Josh on the chair, uh, my brother John standing, and me in the green, sitting and looking. I'm assuming we're looking at our mother because we're very excited and happy. Um, <clears throat> I have an incredible mom. My mom had us, and then five years later, you're not surprised it was five years later, five years later, we had my biological sister, Caitlin. And then four or five years after that, we adopted my sister from Taiwan. And then four or five years after that, we adopted my sister from South Korea. So what's really cool is I get to tell people that my mom had six kids in two pregnancies, and only one was a set of triplets. <laughs> and people go, what? That's crazy. So... Growing up, my grandfather was a pastor. Um, my dad was elder at our church. Both my parents, very strong in their faith. And growing up, we were kind of known, my brothers and I, we were known as the Hetzel boys. If you went to our church and you got to know us, which if you saw three handsome young men walking around, you would obviously want to know us. But as you were getting to know us, <clears throat> Lots of people were like, man, they've got it together. Like, those Hetzel boys, man, like, we want our daughters to marry them. <laughs> and we don't, we don't even have a daughter yet, so maybe they'll wait. Maybe they'll wait for our daughter. But growing up, we continue to grow up, and I have a picture of us grown up now. Um, that's us all grown up. People ask, sometimes people just didn't even believe that we were triplets because we look so different. Um, <clears throat> my wife tends to say that she got the hottest one. Um, and I don't think she's biased. She's very much a truth teller. And so I'm very, I'm very honored by that. Um, but so growing up, and especially as I hit my teen years, I realized that I had this persona at church, this good boy, responsible, hardworking, you can trust them guys type demeanor. And when I was at church, I just lived it up and I loved it. But when I would be at home or I would be on my own or I would be um, away from people and I had some time to think, I, I would see my heart and I would see the life that I was living that no one else saw, and I didn't like it. I recognized that I had this, for lack of a better phrase, goody two-shoes personality, and this side of me that no one else saw, and I was ashamed. Has anyone else ever felt that way? Okay, a few of you have. Praise Jesus, I'm not alone. Um, <clears throat> I think all of us, in some way, shape, or form, at different points in our life, 
hit up against the life we know we're called to live and the life we actually are living. If you would go to Romans chapter 7, if you brought Bibles with you, pull those out. If you have phones, you want to look it up on your um, Uversion app, um, or you can see it here on the screen. But we're going to read Romans 7, 15 to 20. And it says this. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. I think all of us, at one time or another, have been there. Where we have seen, this is what I'm supposed to do, and I don't do it. This is what I'm not supposed to do, and by golly, I do this all the time. I'd like to take 20 seconds for us to prayerfully consider if there's something in our life right now that God wants to be changed. That we recognize, I need to be made new in this area of my life. So would you just pray with me for like 20 seconds? Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. We ask that you would open our eyes to see areas in our own lives that you want to transform. Lord, we ask that if there are things that we need to know that are hurting or destroying our lives or our families, help us to see it. Help us to know it. And help us look to you for help. Amen. So, back to my story. So, I'm in high school, I'm seeing this dichotomy of my life, and summer of my senior year, so I'm about to go off to college, my brothers and I, all three of us, went to College of the Ozarks in Branson, Missouri, which you'd kind of be surprised, like what, you didn't have enough of each other for 18 years, you had to go to college together? We went to college together, and that summer before we left, my dad decided that he wanted to do a book study with us. And so we'd kind of occasionally done this. Um, but he said that summer, once, once a week, I don't remember what morning it was, we're going to read a chapter out of this book on your own, and then we'll come together and discuss. And that book was called The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. And for me, this book was life-transforming. Because for me, it was the first time that I finally understood I can go to God and he produces the fruit in me. He's the one who does the life change. So for the last 18 years, I have been striving and asking God to help me live this out. This has been a desire of my heart. And so I'd like to explain some of the things that I learned from this book and how we can apply it and live it out in our own lives. So, before I get there, I have a picture of someone I want to ask if you guys know who it is. 
Does anyone know who this is? Who? Does anyone know who this is? Jackson. Jackson. Who said Jackson? Thank you, Kimmy. Jackson. Anyone watch Gilmore Girls? Okay, I can't say that I've not ever seen it. Um, But this is Jackson. And so I want to explain a little bit about what Jackson does. So the whole synopsis of Gilmore Girls is you have a single mom and her daughter. And they live in this Connecticut town. The mom's name is Lorelai, and she runs an inn. She and her best friend, um, Suki, run this inn. If they want to have fruit or vegetables or anything to serve at the inn, Jackson's the one that brings it. Jackson's the produce man. If you want anything fruit or veggie related, Jackson's the one who brings it. If Suki wants a salad, Jackson brings it. Um, He even like sleeps with the zucchini. That's a specific reference to a specific episode, not that I've seen it. Um, So Jackson is the produce man. He brings the produce. The scripture that we are going to read today tells us that in real life, Jesus is the produce man, and he brings the produce. If you want to live a life that bears fruit, you got to depend on Jesus. He is the produce man. Go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're going to read 1 through 10. It's on the screen as well. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, before we go into verse 4, my version, NIV, has the word remain. I find it much more clear about what it's talking about to use the word abide. In the ESV version and other versions of the Bible have abide. So I'm going to read remain and abide because I think abide captures what we're trying to talk about more clearly. So verse 4. Remain, abide in me, and I will remain, abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain, abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain, abide in me. I, Jesus, am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains, abides in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain, abide in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain, abide in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, abide in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain, abide in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. If we want our lives to bear fruit, 
if we look at our lives and we say, this is the struggle that I have, this is the life that I'm producing, and we go, this is not what God wants for my life, God wants this for my life, then we have to abide. And we have to depend and live in a state of dependence on God to produce that fruit. We cannot produce it on our own. When I was 17, 18, I could have said every day, possibly even every hour, okay, I'm going to be better and I'm not going to struggle with this. And maybe there would be some days that I didn't. But more often than not, me striving in my own power and will to live differently and bear fruit produced nothing but frustration. And I bet some of you have been there too, where you see in your own life differences that need to be made, and you can't do it. You can't make it happen. So as I've asked God to help me understand how this process works more, I've come to understand and recognize a couple things. First off, you have to reach a point of desperation. You have to reach a point where you go, I can depend on no one else. I'm out of ideas, I can't help myself, but I realize I need to change. As long as you are continuing to fight out of your own strength, you're gonna fail. You are going to fail because you have still not come to the point of total surrender. And that's the second step. So I kind of recognize that in going to the point of desperation, this is not a fun place to be. This is not the point we want to reach. But if we want God to be able to bear much fruit through us, produce much fruit through us, we have to reach the point of desperation. And then when I think about total surrender, I think about allowing God to take over fully. And that makes me think to a couple weeks ago when we showed the video of Team Hoyt and the dad who's doing the Ironman triathlon swimming with his kid in a boat behind. When you are fully, totally surrendered to God and you say, you got this, God. You got to take this. It's not me. When you are able to, with God's help, reach these two points, total surrender and desperation, then you are able to be at a point where you can start to abide, where you can truly start to hear from and live out the life God has called you to live. So, third step, learn to abide. And please hear me when I say, this is not something that just overnight you're like, oh, I've got it. I'm abiding, I'm bearing fruit now. Like, sometimes that happens and God can do that. But more often than not, this is a years-long process of learning and becoming sensitive to God's leading and allowing him to bear fruit through you, okay? So, I have two points that I want to make regarding how to abide, because I think you can kind of understand that, yeah, that's something we're supposed to be doing, but we have no idea how that looks. How do we actually implement that in our lives? So first step is that, in my mind, you have to be able to hear his voice. You have to be able to hear God's voice. Now, the first question that comes to mind is, 
does God still speak today? We know in the Old Testament he did. We know in the New Testament he was around. Um, but does he still speak today? I would argue that he does. Because in Hebrews chapter 13, it says that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so our God, if he spoke in a certain way in the Old Testament, I would argue he still speaks that way today. So let's go to 2 Samuel. We're going to read a story about David and how God spoke to him. And I know there's lots of different examples in the Old Testament about how God spoke, okay? But I think this section of scripture is particularly meaningful when thinking about this topic. So what we have here is David has been anointed and become king over Israel. So um, he got anointed when he was a kid. He defeats Goliath. He does all of that. He lives with the Philistines for a while. Saul tries to kill him. Saul dies, David has become king. So in chapter 5 of 2 Samuel, verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord. So David asks God a question. Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? So he asks a very specific question. The Lord answered him, Go, for I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. Now, I don't know if this was an audible voice. Could it have been? Yes. Could it have been some type of spiritual instinct that welled up in him through his heart and his mind? Yes. I do not know how God spoke in that situation. All I know is that David asked a question, God answered. Verse 20. So David went to Baal Perizim, and there he defeated them. He said, as water breaks out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perizim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Once more, the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So now again, David is going to inquire of the Lord. And I want you to pay attention to, he basically asked the same thing, but I want you to pay attention to how God answers differently this time. Verse 23. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up, but, do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the balsam trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibbon to Gezer. Okay, so there's two different situations that Philistines are gathering and want to attack. And in one instance, David says, should I attack, Lord? Should I take him out? And God says, yes, go, and he does it. And I don't know what the time difference is, but it happens again. And that time God says, yes, I want you to attack, but wait. Don't go right at him like you did last time. Circle around and listen for the balsam trees, marching in the balsam trees, and then attack. 
very specific instructions. I think God today wants to give us very specific instructions sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes we want more instruction, right? Have you ever been in a place when you're like, God, just make it clear. I just want to know. We've been there. But I think there's other times that if we would listen, God would speak and tell us what to do. Now, there's one thing about this that I can promise you. If you do not believe that God speaks like that today, you will not hear him. Let me say it again. If you believe that God does not speak that way anymore, then I can promise you will not hear him. If you believe it's possible that the almighty God of the universe might have something to share personally with you, then you have a chance. And does God want his children to hear him? I would say yes. I mean, he gave us God's word. That's one very clear way that God has shown that he speaks to us. But I believe there's even more personal ways that he wants to if we would listen. So I have been working on asking God to help me learn to hear him probably for the last 18 years. Am I an expert at this? No. Do I feel like I have gotten better at it? Yes. One of the things that has helped me is a book that is called Jesus Speaks. Um, It's by Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola. It came out actually last year, and it was the first book that I have ever read that really put to words how God does this in one's life. Because most of the time, if you hear a Christian say, well, God said this to me, because that's a pretty common phrase, right? Well, I was doing devotions, and God said... And you kind of go, how? How do you know that was God? How do you know that wasn't you? You know, God said, um, I need to go to Culver's today. Um, There's some rocky road that needs eaten, and God just made it very clear that I need to eat it. Right? Like, it's pretty easy to make up or believe God told me to do that. And it's really our own motives. So what I loved about this book was that it very, and especially the second half, which Frank Viola wrote, short page and a half, two-page chapters, but just very clear laying out, understanding how to hear God's voice. If this is something you desire to grow in, I encourage you to read this book. Second, I stumbled upon a different type of prayer called Lectio Divina. Has anyone ever practiced Lectio Divina? A couple of us have. So... Lectio Divina is a, instead of reading scripture to study and understand context and everything that's going on, which is super important, this is a more devotional type of reading where you read and you meditate on and you say, Lord, what what do you want me to know out of this passage? What are you trying to say to me? And sometimes there's something that's really exciting, like, praise Jesus, he loves me. Because you're feeling really bad about yourself. You recognize your sin and you're like, I need to be different and I'm not. And you read a passage and it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And you're encouraged. 
There's other times that I have been reading this um, and prayed in this way, which I don't do it very often. So please don't think that, whoa, Jeremy just does this like special prayer-like thing like all the time. No. I would love to do it more. I don't take time for it like I should. So sometimes something is just like, oh my gosh, I don't want to hear it. There was one day at a previous church years ago, I was doing it with students in student ministry, and um, of the word that kept standing out to me was forgive. And I was like, Psh, who do I need to forgive? I'm great. I'm happy. And the more I prayed about it and the more I thought about it, I realized that I was harboring unforgiveness against someone. So then I prayed about it. And then God helped me with that. And if I had not taken time in that moment to really hear from God, I wouldn't have realized it in that moment. I might have realized it at some other point. God would have spoken, but I wouldn't have noticed. So first off, if you want to learn to abide, you have to learn to hear his voice. Okay? Second, I believe you have to learn to obey. Because what's the point of having a servant if the master can't get them to do what they want. So imagine God says, Jeremy, I want you to do this. And I'm like, is anything going to happen? Nothing's going to get done. And sometimes God goes to the ends of the earth to get your attention, kind of like Jonah. Did Jonah hear God's voice? Very clearly, because God said, go to Nineveh and tell those heathens that I love them and they need to repent. And Jonah said, they don't deserve it. They don't, they haven't earned it. Those heathens, if you've watched VeggieTales, they slap people with fish. (sighs) Horrible sinners. And so God says, well, if you're not going to listen to me, maybe you'll listen to this big fish. I think sometimes God allows circumstances in our life to get our attention so that we will listen. Does that mean that every time you have a big fish come into your life, you have not been listening? No. You think about Job. Did Job do anything to deserve what he got? No, it was for God's glory. So, there's discernment that needs to be made when you have bad situations like this happen. But what I want you to realize is, it is incredibly important, if you want to learn to abide, if you want to remain in him, if you want to be able to bear much fruit, you have to hear his voice, and then you have to obey. Because at some point, God might go, well, I've been telling this person this for two months, and they are not listening. So either he'll bring a circumstance to get you to listen, or he'll say, well, fine, you can live in that mess for a year. Then I'm going to come back and try to get your attention again. Sometimes he allows us, he allows us to disobey because he realizes we aren't at the point of desperation yet. So what is the blessing that if Jackson represents what Jesus does in our life, If Jesus is the produce man, if Jesus is the one who brings the change, what does he bring? Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, 
We're going to start at verse 16. And realize the first part of this talks about the ways we want our lives to be changed and different. And the second part talks about what God brings. Verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that, does, it, does that last verse mean that if we've ever experienced one of those things, we won't inherit the kingdom of God? No. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, meaning characterized by, this is how we live all the time, if your life is characterized by that, then I think it's fair to say, well, who do you have faith in? Do you have faith in Jesus or do you have faith in yourself or something else? But if your life is not characterized by those things and you have struggled with those in the past and you are now living a different life, you know where you're going. God's got a place for you. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does anyone want more of that in their life? Who's the one who has to bring it? Jesus. Jesus produces that in you. If one of those fruits would take care of a struggle you have, Jesus wants to bring it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this is my understanding of sanctification. We are here. We come to faith, and God says, this is where you are, but I don't want to leave you here. I am going to grow you, stretch you, change you, so that you live differently. And so he's going to say, hey, Jeremy, look at this area of your life. You are selfish. I want you to deal with that. So maybe he works on that for me for three years. Maybe it takes a long time. Now, I'm not as selfish God has borne the fruit in me, and I am in a better place. That doesn't mean that I'm not ever selfish. I just am selfish less. Then God says, Jeremy, you're pretty impatient. And he works on that. There is constantly something new that God wants to change in you to help you become and look like more like him. And my heart says, I believe with everything in me that if we as a congregation live out our faith in this way because it's Jesus producing fruit in us, can you imagine the impact, not only in your families, in your own life, but in our community, how we would truly be able to love people better? Because most of the time, if you are angry with someone and you know, ah, I gotta forgive them, I gotta love them, you trying to do that on your own is going to fail. 
But if Jesus produces in you a love for that person that you could not create on your own, you will genuinely be able to love them, genuinely. And then they will be amazed because they have treated you horribly. And they'll go, I've treated them like junk. And, they, and they're genuinely being nice to me. God can use that to change our world. So, in closing, may we as a people learn to depend on and trust in God to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our lives. Amen.